You are listening to a sermon preached at Still Bay Baptist Church in Still Bay, South Africa. For more information, please visit our website stillbaybaptist.co.za. May you be blessed in listening to God's Word today. Yes, Father, we are so grateful that we can call you Father, that you've revealed yourself to us as a mighty God, as the Lord of the universe, as the creator God, but also as our Father, that we can come to you and receive all goodness, all help, all love, all care that we need. And so, Father, we thank you that we can also come this morning and to hear from you as we are on this journey of becoming more like Christ, this journey of dealing with the things in our lives to grow, to be useful by you in this world. We just pray, Lord, that you will guide us, that your Spirit will do the work that we cannot do, and that your Spirit will empower us to do the work that we need to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in a journey in the book of of Colossians, and we're now in chapter 3. And I'm going to give a brief summary again today, so if you wonder where I get to the things I'm saying, please go in and check, because I'm not making up these things. I'm not giving you the wisdoms of Freud to help you solve your problem. I'm giving you what God gives in His Word. And what we find in chapter 3 is where God is telling us how to change for the better. When He saved us, Something happens, something radically happens. But the one thing that doesn't happen is that we suddenly become perfect. Um, Suddenly everything is gone, all my problems are gone, it's just fantastic and wonderful. That's just not how it works. We are busy growing to become more. And it's a process that if you are not actively involved, it doesn't happen. Now you might know people who have been Christians for decades and you wonder, why do they struggle so much to follow Jesus? Why, why are they still where they were 20 years ago? It's not God. It's by them not engaging in the process God has designed, either through lack of knowing there's a process or through stubbornness or whatever other reason. So we're going to look again briefly at this process, and I've, I've drawn some pictures that explains to you what Colossians 3 is about. The first thing that it says is that even when I'm saved, This is a saved heart. It's not a black, unsaved heart. But the point is that even when I'm a saved person, I still do things that are wrong. I still fight. I still um, say things I shouldn't say. I still follow the world's definition of sexuality, maybe. Um, I still get angry and frustrated and all these type of things. And um, that is the reality. What we also said, especially when we looked at 1 Peter, is that Often in a group, like a a town or a culture, we have sins that we have in common. And the problem with having a sin in common is that we start forgetting that's a sin because everyone is doing it. So we think, oh, well, that's just life. That's just how it is. Now, the one we spoke about last time was racism. Stillby struggles tremendously much with racism. We still somehow think, that black people are bad and white people are good. The problem in this country are the black people. That is so ungodly. You can't even imagine. So when you take the actions of one person and apply it to a group, you're a racist. That's what it is. 
And so, but we're not talking more about races today. We're talking about some of the other common sins that we would have in a place like Stillby that we just forget that it's a sin. The one would be vanity. Spending way too much money to look good externally. Now that could be on myself, on my house, on my stuff. I just want to look good. As long as I look good, life is good. Um, and then we quickly want to read over verses like this that says, 1 Peter 3, Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Does he say you're never allowed to braid your hair? He says stop focusing there. Stop spending all your time and your money and your energy there when you should be spending it on who I am on the inside. Um, another big problem in a place like Stillby, but definitely not unique to Stillby, is pride. Self-serving attitudes. My goal in life is to make much of me. And I hope everyone else is going to share that goal. To make much of me. To make it about me. Now make no mistake, proud people can act very humble with people they like. It's very easy for a proud person to think they're humble because when they were their friends, they're very humble and they are very kind and they're very... But just double-cross them. Just say something they don't like. And the nails come out. How dare you offend the God of me? How dare you think you can come and say this to me? Um, now, what I, what I understand is that in the world, we can understand that people have to be proud. Because if you don't have a God, you've got to find a God, and the closest God is me. So I just find myself and I start worshipping myself. That's totally understandable. But what I don't understand is why it still happens in the church and why it still happens in our church. Now this week, in dealing with some of the people in our church, I figured out one of the reasons why this is true. Why is there still this prideful act? And what I've realized is that people in our church and elsewhere, maybe hopefully not all of you, think that I only owe someone humility and kindness as long as I agree with how they're acting. The moment someone acts incorrectly, I don't have to treat them nice anymore. I can be nasty to them. I can say things to them. I can be harsh with them. I can take them out because they are now wrong and I'm putting them in their place. That's pride. That's pride. Now, um, of course, yes, there is a place to deal with people who are wrong. But listen to this verse in Hebrew. Strive for peace with everyone, except those who disagree with your plans. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Someone comes and they action, and I just don't like them. How dare they? 
and the root of bitterness in my heart grows against that person. I like to say this because people don't like it when I say this, but I have to say it. There is this evil saying in the church that says, we are called to love everyone, but we're not called to like everyone. And I go, Yo, have you got a bad understanding of love? Because we are called to love like Jesus loves us. Do you want Jesus to tell you, I love you very much, but man, I don't like you. Is that what we want from God? No, what we want from God is what we need to give to others. I'm not going to like what everyone does, but I'm called to like everyone, in spite of what they do sometimes. Um, now again, like I said, there is a sense that um, we must address issues when people do something wrong. But the biblical example is that I go to someone when we have a disagreement and we speak in love and we try to resolve the issue and through truth and love we try to resolve the issue. What do we do? We get our gangs together and we send WhatsApp messages about the other person. Did you hear what he or she said again this week and what they did? That's not God's way. That's the problem. That's part of the problem. Go talk, go communicate, go show love, go show grace and kindness. Stand for what is right, but you don't have to stand on someone's head to show that you are right. Um, there's no space for disliking someone in the church. Okay, um, so back to this picture here. How do I figure out what my problems are? Because like I said, it's often because it's my group or it's my culture, I don't get it. We live in a culture that gets very upset when we say homosexuality is wrong. And it is so easy to show it from the Bible. So why do people think it's right? Because that's what they want. And that's what the world tells them is fine. So I guess it's fine. We have to go back to God's Word. Another way is to... Now this is a difficult one. One way you can find out... This is for married people. To find out what you do wrong is to go to your spouse and you say, Darling, I promise I won't get angry. I won't interrupt you. I won't lash out. But please tell me all the things I do wrong. If you don't want to do it, please add pride to your list of sins. Because that's why you don't want to ask. How dare someone tell me what I do wrong? But, okay, so th that, but that's the start of the process. These things are just the external problems. In other words, I can't fix the problem here because it's just a result of my problem. The problem is in my heart. I need to go figure out what in my heart is causing my racism. What in my heart is causing my prideful actions and the way I speak to people and the way I treat people. And so the, what you start doing is you look at your bad action and you start asking why questions. Why do I respond like that? Why do I feel like that? Why did I say that thing? And the why questions takes you on a journey when you figure out in your heart what is wrong here. Now pride is deeply seated in our hearts. Pride makes us lash out. Pride makes us act arrogant. But the pride is the, the heart problem here. Once I figured it out, then I put it to death, Colossians 3 says. Now, put it to death are four words that can be sometimes such a tremendously difficult process because it clings. It's become part of your identity. I th but I think this is who I am. No, this is who you were. God made you new to be new, live new. And so often you need help there. 
because it's difficult. Often you need help because there are habits that just keeps it going there. And once you've figured out and how it starts working on the heart problem, you will see over time that your external behavior starts changing as well. Because you've got the problem at the root. You've pulled out that, that weed by the root and then eventually the leaves and everything withers. Um, now, a lot of people, a lot of Christians get to this point and they think, oh, cool, I have no more sin anymore. Look, I stopped doing all the bad things that I used to do. I am now a perfect Christian. They won't say it like that, but they often think it. Um, the problem is now I'm still empty. This is only halfway the process. The next part of the process is to now start this heart that I put a lot of things to death to get good things in there. Replace it with good things, and those good things will eventually flow over into the way that I act, into the way that I do things. Now, in Colossians, he gives you a list of things that I must put in my heart. The three we have looked at is put on love, and he, and he explains it as kindness, humility, meekness. Then he says you need to give on peace, how I interact with other people. Forgiveness is a big thing there. And then the last one we looked at, you need to put the word in your heart. Read the Bible, memorize the Bible, get the truth of the Bible in your heart. And today he gets to the fourth one. And the fourth one is the decision to do everything in Jesus' name. The decision that everything I do will be done in Jesus' name. So you can open your Bibles to Colossians 3. We're just doing verse 17 today. And Carol will come up and read for us. Thank you very much. That one there, yeah. Take it with aunt. Right, Colossians three, verse seventeen. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you, Carol. Yeah. Um, this actually verse concludes this journey that has been taking us on of the putting things to death and putting things on again. And it actually is such a nice sealing of everything. It's such a nice, beautiful summary of bringing everything to a point again where my journey started when I was born again. And then it was a journey and it's a continual journey of putting off and putting on. But let's now see what he means. What does it mean when he says, whatever you do in word and deed? Um, he's talking about these things. Everything I do, everything I say, um, I need to do in a certain way. As a Jesus follower, it matters how I live. I can't say, well, this one I'm terrible at. I don't help people. I don't help people. But at least I show love and I praise singing and I mend relationships and stuff. I'm not that bad, so it's fine. We can ignore the ones that I'm, I'm not so great at. We'll focus on the ones that I'm good at. He says, whatever you do. So you need to consider your whole life, all your actions, all the people you speak to, all the words you say, all the thoughts you have, and all of them must happen in a certain way. And what is that way? He says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the way. Now, what does that mean? It's not for me to go and decide what it means. More than one person in the history of the church have decided that that means I become Jesus. 
because I'm doing it in the name of Jesus. Call me Jesus. There's actually a church in Pretoria where the guy that every time when the text talks about Christ, he puts his own name in there because I am the Christ figure like you are the Christ figure. So it's obviously not what it means, but how do I figure out what it means? And the beauty is that the Bible always explains itself. There's a thing in the Bible that they call the principle of first mention, which means is the first time in the Bible that you get a concept, it often, not always, it often explains to you what he is talking about. So when is the first time in the Bible that we get this idea of some, doing something in the name of God? Well, that is all the way back in Deuteronomy 18 verse 5 where it says, For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons for all time. Now that's very helpful. Because it's talking about the tribe, the Levites. And how they were called out from normal life for a specific duty to listen and do what God tells them to do. And so it was a designation to do everything in the name of God. In other words, fulfill your calling as God wants it to be fulfilled. Listening to Him. There's another one where we find the same one, same term. This is in 1 Samuel 17 story of David and Goliath. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Love the story. So it tells us a lot more about this term as well. So what did Saul try to do to get David ready? He put his armor on it. He tried to tell him what to do. And he's just like, ha, take it off. My calling is not from you. And he goes and stands in front of um, Goliath. And now he compares them. He says, you come with what? Sword and with a spear and with a javelin. When as a kid, I always realized, okay, your one hand's got the sword and your one hand's got the spear. Where are you holding the javelin? It doesn't make much sense to me. But anyways, you come with me with a sword and a spear, but I come in the name of the Lord. Your strength is in your tools. I'm coming in the strength of the Lord. Your designation is to be this big Goliath figure that represents the Philistines and is now doing the calling of the Philistines to threaten the Jews. I'm coming, assigned by God, to come and confront you in His power. And now it tells us a lot more again. To do something in the name of the Lord is to come and be assigned by God and giving my jobless, giving my instructions of how I must live. But it's not just the instructions, it's also the empowerment. That He will call me what to do and He will empower me to do that thing. He will never call you to do something that He won't empower you to do. And now there's two more. This, the next one is not the name of God, but also a bit of an understanding of what it means in the name of. So here we have in 1 Samuel 25 verse 9, When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. So David appoints his young man. He says, go to Nabal and tell him this in my name. What does it mean? They pitch up there and say, hey, Nabal, you must do this. And like, who are you? Why do I need to listen to young men? But because they come and they say, Nabal, we are telling you this 
in the name of David, he has to listen. And that's a beautiful picture to understand. If I live my life and I'm saying, oh, look at me, I'm going to do this now. I've got some gifts from the Spirit. I'm going to take on this battle. Satan's like, who are you? Who are you? What can you do? And then you say, but it's not me. I'm coming in the name of Jesus. I've been appointed by Him. I've been empowered by Him. We're going to look at one more, I think. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible again. Elijah on Mount Carmel. And he says, And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two shears of seed. He's building this altar. Why? Because he's doing it appointed by God. He's doing this in the power of God. He's doing this sent by God. He doesn't have any of his own motives. There's nothing. He's not trying to fulfill his own dreams and his own potential here. God sent me and therefore I'm doing it. You know, when I've heard this the first time, one of the first times, I thought, can we also do it? Can we also go and phone all the Muslims and all the Hindus we know and we say, meet us on Mount, let's not say Mount Sleeping Beauty, it takes way too long to get to the top. Mount us on that copy over there. I've decided I'm going to build altars now and we are going to call down fire from heaven. Can I do that? Not if I'm not instructed by God. Do we know this from the text? Absolutely. In 1 Kings 18 verse 36 it says, And at that time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and listen, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. You told me to do it. And then you understand again what it means to do something in the name of the Lord. It's not to run off on my own mission. It's not to go and do what I think is right. It's to learn from God what He wants me to do and to do it. Every word I say, every action I do, assigned by God, empowered by God. And so if we get back to this then, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. Everything you say, you must say, is this what God wants me to say? Everything I do, every activity I spend time on, every minute of my day that I don't have to do something and then I choose to do something, am I doing this as someone assigned by God for this life? Every part of this life. And then have the power to do it. And then he carries on and he says, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now the last three of these all ended with thankfulness. When he told us to put on peace, he said, and be thankful. When he told us to put on the word, he said, with thankfulness. And now he said it again, do everything with the Lord and in the Lord Jesus' name, giving thanks. Now why? Why giving thanks every time? Um, because thankfulness is a key indicator of spiritual growth. Thankfulness shows me how far I am on this journey with God. Often still when we are saved, we get saved and we're so in this world and we are grumpy when it goes badly and we are happy when it goes well and we are so focused on the things around us and our circumstances. But as I grow in maturity, my eyes lift 
and I just see God more, and I see what He is doing, what He did do, what He will be doing, and that starts driving my emotions and my thoughts. And every day, it doesn't matter what's happening around me, what chaos happens around me, every day I look up and I say, God, thank you that you are still in charge. Specific to this one, thank you that you appointed me for this day. Thank you that you will empower me for this day. Now, I think many people know my favorite hymn of all. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of the earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. This is what He's talking about. As I grow, as I mature in the faith, I'm not so bothered by the things of this world. I'm in this world. I deal with the things in my world. I'm not sitting in a cloister, cutting myself off and ignoring everything. I deal with it, but I deal with it in thankfulness, assigned by God, empowered by God to go into this world, doing what I need to do, saying what I need to say. Okay, so in conclusion, because we've concluded this journey now, next week it gets very practical. We're taking on husbands and wives and everyone, so come prepared to be taught. Um, but in conclusion, on, in God's design, for us to deal with life is far more than just praying about it. We say this often. Prayer is vitally important. Nothing is going to happen about prayer. But if your only role, you think, in maturing in Christ is praying, you're missing the point. I need to identify where I am sinning. Where I'm not in line with. And you know what's so strange for me? People latch onto this and they go, I know God says it's wrong, but my friends say it's fine, and this preacher on the internet says it's fine, and that guy says it's fine, so I'm going to live like this. I know it's not what the Bible says, but I'm going to live like this. And then their life is in turmoil, and they don't understand why. I just don't understand. I pray to God about all these things, and it just doesn't seem like He's listening to me. You know why He's not listening? If I have cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not listen. I have to deal with the things in my life. And so the journey is finding out what do I need to change in me. And if I need help, go find help. Go find biblical counseling to deal with my pride, to deal with my fear, to deal with my anxieties, all those things in the inside that causes my issues. Find help for it and then start living in love, living in peace, knowing the Word, doing your designation. You are called by God in this world. Go and fulfill your calling. Let's pray together. Lord, this is a short chapter and even the pictures make it sound and look so easy, but this is war. And Lord, I want to pray for those who are in this war and it's hard and they struggle. They've identified the things that are wrong and they just seem to be so stuck in it. They don't seem to know how to deal with this. Lord, I pray that your light will shine and show them the way to deal with the things in their inner man. Lord, I want to pray for our church where it seems it's sometimes so easy to dislike someone and to treat someone badly based on that, that we will identify it as sin and step away from it and pursue love and pursue peace. Lord, we are called to be a body, to be a body, to work together, 
to ex- accept each other, to, to rely on each other. Lord, thank you that that is your plan. Help us to understand your plan and to live your plan. But then above all, Lord, I want to thank you that you were also like the Levites. You've appointed us to go out into Stolbi, into the world, and to work and speak and live in the name of Jesus. Designated to take the good news out there. Empowered to do it, Lord. And so make us instruments in your hand. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you were blessed in hearing God's word today. For more information or prayer, please visit our website stillbaybaptist.co.za. May you find your life in Jesus Christ and Him alone.